Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join me in an empty and deserted capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Miles McKinnon, Director of Special Olympics Great Britain, the country's largest provider of year-round sports training and competition programs for children and adults with learning disabilities. Miles, hello. Good afternoon, Matthew. Good afternoon. Um, I might as well address this straight off the bat. How has COVID-19 affected um, Special Olympics of Great Britain? Um, well, sadly, um, we have had to certainly postpone numerous events um, for the forthcoming months uh, around the country. Um, Special Olympics is a, a movement which effectively it's athletes and it's coaches. Uh, it's not a once every four years event. It's every single day around the UK, athletes are involved in some form or another of a Special Olympic uh, club or sport that they are involved in. So it has affected um, the Special Olympics hugely, which is a great shame. But in saying that, uh, athletes' uh, health and safety has to be paramount in, mm. in all of this and this, this difficult time. Now, of course, um, mass gatherings aren't uh, 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 available to be done at this moment in time. But how are uh, the individuals that are involved uh, with your program training in their time uh, away? We believe, um, I mean, we're certainly we from, from the board downwards to all the clubs and the regions around the UK, uh, we are encouraging all of our athletes to stay healthy, stay fit. Um, it's incredibly important uh, for their well-being um, that they are continuing to try to do some form of exercise, uh, whether that's following um, you know, some, some great things on television as far as that goes. Um, and on the internet, there are really some, some great opportunities to do different classes um, and following those online as much as you can. But yeah, it is, it is difficult for, for certainly some people who do live in apartments. Um, they're not close to parks. Uh, so yeah, we're doing our utmost to encourage our athletes to stay fit, stay healthy, um, and, and try and follow as much as they can online or on TV. Well, let's... Um Speak about leadership. After all, that's why you're here. Um, I always like to start off uh, the conversation on leadership by asking a very simple question that usually has a rather complex answer. What does the word leader mean to you? I think somebody uh, leader to me, somebody uh, who inspires. If I, if I look at in my particular interest in sport, um, a leader to me inspires, motivates directs myself and if I'm playing in a team event my other teammates towards our goal whatever that may be and the leaders tend to set goals and encourage others to to work together to achieve those goals so yeah that, that in a very short way is, is what I suggest leadership is to me and how would you describe your personal leadership style um, I'm, I'm very fortunate that I'm a coach um, for rugby teams of under 15s and under 8. We also had a disabled daughter in our house, um, one of our four children. So, yeah, as far as 
what is leadership mean to me, and that, that that's there to, it's, I suppose, motivate uh, to get everybody up and about and into a sport. All my children have different interests and different sports, and the children I coach, uh, the great thing about rugby to some degree is that it's, it's a game that encompasses every single human being within the UK, realistically, mm-hmm. whether you're not too tall, uh, you're very tall, you're a heavy person, you're uh, a very small person, uh, and it really does just encapsulate getting everybody motivated, understanding the rules, getting out and about, and enjoying it to the fullest they possibly can. Now, of course, um, you're dealing with uh, individuals uh, that are, are vulnerable uh, and also uh, who who don't often get opportunities uh, like what you provide for them. How do you keep uh, your staff uh, motivated and able to deliver the uh, professional um, care for these uh, vulnerable individuals while still being able to have a fun atmosphere? I think we encourage all of the staff within the Special Olympics um, that are based in the offices to to get out as often as they possibly can and to witness some of the athletes uh, at, at some of the events that they do or just on a regular basis. And you really can see how much it means to the athletes, how much they get from it, uh, how it changes their lives completely. And I think that's motivation enough for all the staff within the Special Olympics, all the volunteers that are there. And, and that's a real point. You know, Yes, a lot of the staff in the offices are paid, but the majority of, of those involved within the Special Olympics movement are volunteers. So there's a real driving passion from those people to see the athletes getting the most out of it. So yeah, it's, it's a very self-motivating uh, weapon. Now, how did you get into the Special Olympics movement? Was it through uh, your child or were you involved prior? Uh, I was, no, it wasn't. I certainly was uh, the outcome of um, our daughter being diagnosed with a severe condition of epilepsy. Uh, at the time, I was on and still am on the committee of the uh, Harlequins Rugby Club Players mm-hmm. Association and the then chairman of the club was also the chairman of the Special Olympics um, he asked me to you know, whether I'd like to be interested in, in, in I suppose meetings and discuss the Special Olympics and it, it wasn't a very long meeting it was uh, an instantaneous yes my background in sport was um, was and has been fantastic when times are difficult whether they be work personal I've always turned to sport and always had a far more of an understanding towards that so it was a no-brainer and with our daughter's condition it certainly uh, has helped us and myself my wife my other children being able to bring her into sport uh, and really see how much it's changed her life as well and you know the difference between her having a good day uh, and, a, and a bad day it really is it's how much sport she's able to do it's a, a fantastic uh, thing that you're doing uh, for individuals uh, in the Special Olympics. If someone wants to get involved, uh, how do they go about this? So the um, SOGB, uh, UK is the main website. On that site, people can be directed to uh, regions, clubs, or even the head office if they need to. There's plenty of information on there uh, where we can 
where that was so they can access different clubs, different sports, and, and it really isn't just one sport. And that, that's so important to say. There's, there's so many different sports available, uh, and this isn't just four years. This is you know weekly, daily sports available, whether it's swimming, athletics, um, uh, you know, football, cricket. It, it, it really is. There are so many different sports available. Uh, within the Special Olympics movement, so I'd, I'd hope that there's something available for for everybody that grasps everybody's interest. Well, uh, once again, I'd like to commend you for the work that you do. Unfortunately, our time together has drawn to its close. Uh, but before I let you go, what does the next twelve months have in store for Special Olympics Great Britain? In the short term, um, I'm afraid I, I have to say we're not certain, and we'll have to be directed by the government as far as COVID-19, um, really where we all stand on that. So everything in the short term is on pause. Um, I really hope we can do as much as we can by encouraging our athletes further to, to be online, staying fit, staying active. Uh, it's incredibly important for their, their own well-being. Uh, I, I think, unfortunately, um, all, all of our plans, all of our events are, are on hold until we know really where we stand from a health perspective. We have to put our athletes' health and safety first. Well, Miles, I'd like to thank you very much for coming on the program, and I hope to have you back on uh, the show uh, when things are back up and running. Miles, thank you. Thank you very much. Nice talking to you. That was Miles McKinnon, Director of Special Olympics Great Britain. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex, uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and... um, yes, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was... But, Lucky to be playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer, but. Um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership, it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football and uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and he's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over the years, I guess, 
he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood. And of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that caliber can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with with a manager like like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players and of course they become your friends who did you look at to at the time uh when to inspire confidence in yourself was it more was it peters i think probably well i was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players i did again mm-hmm. again extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of england and west ham and martin peters who was a fantastic player and some, as far as martin's concerned i think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more looks upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business football team in any walk of life to be successful and it's quite evident I was in the motor trade for a long time as well selling car warranties to car dealerships and you could almost tell when you walked into the business uh, in a, many of the car dealerships you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all and so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to, to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, oh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I said about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, mm. Naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and, of course, your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He, it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time, maybe overly strict, but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people 
and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn for you, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh... A, a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team, or certainly in the squad, and surprising they were not. There was no necessary reason for it, but looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be, be playing. In, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen. so mm. I, I had an impact of thinking I, at that stage I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back into it because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Glee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think Mm. I was just happy to be, and I'd be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really. Looking back out, mm. so I never really felt. People talk about pressure a lot, and it's there. And people, players talk about. People talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out. The squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were a very 
I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we have some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I... I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about twenty minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. There's too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal and I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a, look, have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there are. There certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you too. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stu- stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely. But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we. Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a at a dinner in the you know, Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I had a somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is- uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. But then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it, it, uh, um, it did but make then again, laugh if you laugh If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think. Um, you, you were a young man when... See, this happened when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke 
and of course the England fans who um, I, I think probably it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration um, you, but, you don't but, have to but I will no, well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it perhaps um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years uh, people look at you and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a uh, helpful effect uh, but I do think you, you how you behave and set examples on and off the pitches people must realise that that's that has an influence how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly um, yeah and and with that looking at um, uh, football today uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader um well a player current players you mean oh players managers anybody that uh, you look to today really well i think some of the outstanding i think the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is 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 uh, Klopp at liverpool mm. he has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely, that's, that's absolute leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today, uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely. Mm. You've got to take him as the first example. But Klopp's only done this for a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven years that. Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think? Could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Green was yeah. The answer, straightforward answer is yes. Um, they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking. Um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership, but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think 
that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were very fortunate and I wouldn't pick any one player out. I think looking at so that... So many. Yeah, so many. And that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding and, uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody... And I've going back from an earlier, earlier question for me, that um, all hard-nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially. And that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the sadly dwindling yes. numbers. We, we still got on, our wives got on all together all those years later. It didn't just finish after 66. It, that reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. the... Um, Getting on with each other lasted for, for a long, long, long time, and I wouldn't. And when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else; they were all outstanding, and I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big Absolutely. a part that was, and I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We have some great and players. You- we have some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, you we wouldn't have been as ultimately ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the 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 whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is team. the word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes you know, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly. Uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single mind and single mind and dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that, that, that role, that job in leadership all the time it's a huge part of your life but it, you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level you may you know have a, have a couple of weeks holiday but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm I'm sure there's not uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation, and I think that's you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland its parent company or subsidiaries.
members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.